Jesus then declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but rise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will rise him up, them up at the last day. Thanks, Doug. Um, my name is Kurt Buchanan. I'm on staff here at the church as one of the pastors and have the privilege of sharing with you uh, today. If you're joining us online, we're so glad that you are here. I just want to say digital is great, but, you know, it's not necessarily the best. Uh, if you get the chance to reach out to us, uh, please do that. You know, send us a message where you're uh, joining us from uh, today. We'd love to stay connected with you throughout the week. Are you satisfied with your life. <laughs> right into it. <laughs> right? Okay. Do you want more out of life? Is there more to life than this? See, that's a big question, and sorry to throw it on you so quickly there. Now, I think there's two ways you can answer this question. First, that your life right now is less than it could be. But it could be more. Is there more to this life? There's also a second way you can ask that question. Um, knowing that your life will come to an end. Maybe today or tomorrow. Maybe years from now. And you have to ask yourself, is there more to life than this? See, there's many threats and obstacles to living an abundant life. Full and happy life now. But the reality is, you and everyone you love will eventually turn to dust. And you have to ask yourself, is there more to life than this? Because when we answer that question, oftentimes we answer, I'm not okay with that as an outcome. If that's it, if it's just dust. So here's a few quotes to get you thinking about the reality of death. And I might say that these kind of move from um, less true and less trustworthy to more trustworthy as we go along. You can be the judge. To the well-organized mind, death is but the next great adventure. It is said that your life flashes before your eyes just before you die. It's true. It's called life. The fear of death flows from a fear of life. A man who lives fully is prepared to die at any time. I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> Death is the great interruption, tearing loved ones away from us or us from them. Death is the great schism, ripping apart the material from the immaterial parts of our being and sundering a whole person who is never meant to be disembodied, even for a moment. Death is the great insult because it reminds us, as Shakespeare said, that we are worm food. 
Death is hideous and frightening and cruel and unusual. It is not the way life is supposed to be. And our grief in the face of death acknowledges that. Death is our great enemy more than anything. It makes a claim on each and every one of us, pursuing us relentlessly through all our days. It has been said that all the wars and plagues have never raised the death toll. It has always been one for each and every person. And to say, oh, death is just natural, is to harden and perhaps kill a part of your heart's hope that makes you human. We know deep down that we are not like trees. We are not like grass. We were created to last. We don't want to be ephemeral, to be inconsequential. We don't want to just be a wave upon the sand. To the, the deepest desires of our hearts are for love that lasts. If you want to know whose lines those are, you can ask me later. Okay. We are in a series called Walk with Jesus, which is one of the main categories in our discipleship pathway here at Hillcrest, which we introduced to you this fall. You know, we invite you to celebrate big, connect small, to walk with Jesus, to share the work and engage in mission. Now, walking with Jesus is all about having a personal relationship with Jesus, having a personal relationship with God. And kind of within this main category, there's three ways that we invite you to be involved here at Hillcrest to explore Christianity to seek personal renewal, and to practice spiritual disciplines. And so far in our series, we already launched and talked about seeking personal renewal, and that how renewal and our relationship with God takes trust. You know, that we, when we break trust with God, we need to come to him for forgiveness. Again, he's eager to forgive us. Again, the price for our sin has already been paid on the cross, so we can come to him um, when we sin against him, when we wrong other people. We can come to him for his grace and forgiveness. We can be reconciled to him. Okay, and sometimes we feel like God breaks trust with us. That's he does something that we're not expecting or that we didn't anticipate. We didn't think it was supposed to go that way, but it did. And we have to be reminded of God's character, who he is, that he is this good and faithful, loving father who gives good gifts to us, his children. And for those that love him, he is working out everything for good. So trust is a significant part of that. Um, next week, I'm looking forward to, Dave Wicks is going to come and share with us about practicing spiritual disciplines. But this week, we're talking about what it is to explore Christianity. So if you are with us today, and you're not sure if you're a Christian, or if you're sure you're not a Christian, you're in the right place. We're glad to have you with us, okay? Um, and I hope you stick with us for a while as you explore. We would actually love to help you on that journey of discovery. So please, uh, reach out to us for help. We would love to give you the resources you need so that you can kind of go on this journey of figuring out Christianity for yourself. But let's dive into it a little bit this year. Uh, and... Also, for those of you who've been a Christian for many years, uh, but have struggled with sharing the gospel with the people in your life, I hope that what we talk about today will be helpful for you. So, we're going to look at two questions. These are also the first two sessions from Alpha, uh, that which we run here at the church. This is designed to kind of give you somewhat of a taste of that, but they're two very brilliant questions for exploring Christianity. Number one, again, is, is there more to life than this? And the second one we're going to look at is, well, who is Jesus as an answer to that question? So is there more to life than this? Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says this, 
Speaking of God, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the, in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Do you want things to last? Uh, I renovated a house a number of years ago. Uh, my wife and I bought this house. Uh, we ripped the whole thing apart. We basically kept the foundation in the frame and then redid everything inside in this uh, house. And we love our little house. And now, bit by bit, my children, just through being kids, are tearing it apart. And again, they don't mean to. They're just kind of living their lives as children. And so something that was old, I worked very hard to make new, is now becoming old again. How many of you um, have towels in your home that once were delightful and soft and luxurious, and you thought, this is what I want to put against myself to dry off? And now you have something else entirely, some scratchy rag that are not even worth giving to the dogs. You know, that, that's what you have. Even some of them, they're at the very bottom of the stack, and you keep kind of working your way through the newer tiles. And you, know, you realize it's laundry day when you grab for a towel and you think, no, I can't do that to myself. <laughs> Things get old. How many of you have noticed that you are aging? See, I look out there and I see that some of you are aging quite well. And others of you aren't happy about how it's going. I can tell from your sagging faces. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't see your faces because of the mask, so I don't really have the evidence. See, eternity is more than we can even understand, but something eagerly within us desires things to last. Okay. Um, it is possible to kind of tune out that cry within our hearts for eternity. You can just stay busy. You can stay entertained. You can choose any drug of choice. You can do anything to kind of numb that sense. But eternity is in our hearts. And often, often it surfaces in moments of crisis for us. And if you stop to think about it, I think you'll agree that there is more to life than this. And Christianity does come along and say, yes. And in both senses, that you can have abundant, that's getting more out of this life, and eternal, life everlasting. There is more to life. How do we take hold of it? Christianity says that there is abundant, eternal life, and it's found in Jesus. So who is Jesus, our second question. Many people have no idea what Christianity is, and sadly, many people reject Christianity before they even know what it is. Christianity is rich and complex and has so much to offer, but it has a simple center, center point. Not a starting place, but a center point, and that is Jesus. So who was he? Was he a religious teacher, a myth, the face of a conspiracy, the Son of God, just a man, the Messiah, or the Savior of the world. This is a quote from C.S. Lewis on this idea. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be insane or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this was and is the Son of God or else insane or something worse. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. 
See, as you explore Christianity, you'll realize that Jesus' teaching was centered on himself. He didn't just dispense proverbs and wisdom for people or try to inspire greater moral living. But instead, he said things like this, I am the bread of life. And if the sun sets you free, you will really be free. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I and the Father are one. He says, come to me. He doesn't say, come to church. <laughs> he says, come to me. We say, come to church, because we're going to tell you to go to him. All right? He said, receive me, and you will receive God. Welcome me, and you will welcome God. If you have seen me, you have seen God. That uh, first text um, or that first statement comes from our text for today. Again, John chapter 6. If you want to grab a Bible, you're certainly welcome to follow along. Starting in verse 35. Again, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. See, Jesus says he is the one who can meet our deepest needs. When was the last time you went a day without food and water? Anybody, anytime recently do a day without food and water? Okay, no one even did that. I, thought, I was wondering maybe we could climb up to a few days, a week, you know, a month. Well, food and water seem very important to you people. <laughs> How much more important is Jesus if he says, I am the one that can give you bread, <laughs> that can give you water, you won't ever thirst again. You know, he comes to meet our deepest needs. But again, he says in verse 36, I told you, you've seen me, yet you still do not believe. It is possible to miss the point. See, again, some people think that Jesus was just here to teach people how to live a better life, more moral. Um, though he did bring teaching, again, that was not his mission. His mission was to come to conquer sin and death on the cross See, that's what stood in the way of our abundant, eternal life. Sin in this world in all of the ways that it destroys life. It's the reason why, thing, why you have icky towels. Things are just decaying and falling apart all around us because of the nature of our own sin and the way that it plays out among us as people. Verse 37, all those the Father gives me will come, or all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall not lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. See, the mission of God is to reconcile us through the Father, or to the Father through the Son. Jesus' mission is to hold on to us so that he can raise us up at the last day, God and Christ came to conquer the last day. A relationship with God will help you get more out of this life now. It will be more abundant, undoubtedly. But God's heart and mind are set on an eternity with us. In verse 40, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. See, if you hold on to Jesus, Jesus will hold on to you. And if he holds you, there is nothing in this life, and not even death, that can overtake you. See, in death, everything is taken away from us. Now, again, these two questions come from 
the Alpha series that we run here at Hillcrest with, which is a great way to introduce people to Christianity in an informal environment where you can just ask questions and talk about these different ideas. I want to show you just a video of a few clips from these opening sessions. Let's take a look at that now. For much of my life, I was not remotely interested in Christianity. In fact, I don't think I'd ever come to something like Alpha. I was not brought up as a Christian. My father was a secular Jew. He was an agnostic. And my mother didn't go to church. Uh, and I had no interest at all in Christianity. First of all, I just thought it was so boring. Everything to me about church, Christianity, religion was just dull and dreary, and it kind of made me feel a little bit guilty. I didn't know why, but I just didn't want to have anything to do with it. And I also thought it was untrue. I, I thought I'd sort of thought it through, and uh, I'd come up with these intellectual objections, and I called myself, very pretentiously, I called myself a logical determinist. And I quite enjoyed arguing with people who called themselves Christians. And at university, I had a bit of a reputation for being an argumentative atheist. And I also thought it was irrelevant to my life. I couldn't see how someone who'd lived 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away, could have any relevance to my life today. It just seemed outdated and irrelevant. But at the same time, looking back now, I would say something was missing. I say that because I don't think I was living in the moment. I was always looking forward to the next thing in life. So when I was at school, I was thinking... When I finish my exams, maybe that will be when I'm going to really start to enjoy life. I finished my exams, and then after about three weeks, I started to think, there's got to be more to life than this. And I thought, well, maybe when I've left school, that will be what life's all about. And then I left school, and after about three weeks, I started to think, there's got to be more to life than this. I thought, well, maybe the answer is to get a girlfriend. And somehow, I don't know how I managed it, but I managed to find a girlfriend. Again, after about three weeks, I started to think, there's got to be more to life than this. And, and basically, there was something missing. I was longing for more. C.S. Lewis was one of the great intellectual giants of the 20th century, probably best known as the author of the Chronicles of Narnia. He said this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. I come from a family of lawyers, so naturally I wanted to look at the original documents and sources. I never really looked at the evidence before and I was astonished at how much evidence there is for the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. For me it was through reading these documents that we find in the New Testament that I came to the conclusion it's true. One of the last cases I did as a lawyer was in the Court of Appeal in front of Lord Denning, an absolutely brilliant mind, perhaps the greatest judge of the 20th century. He said on one occasion that his Bible was his most tattered book in his library. He'd examined the evidence really carefully. And he came to the conclusion, it's true. One former professor of history at Oxford University described the resurrection as the best attested fact in history. I hadn't realized how many of the pioneers of modern science were believers. Descartes, Newton, Kepler, Galileo, Locke, Copernicus... Faraday, Kelvin, Pasteur. Francis Collins, one of the greatest scientists of our time, was director of the Human Genome Project, mapping the three billion letters in the human DNA, considered by many to be the most significant scientific undertaking of our time. He describes how he encountered Jesus and came to believe in the truth 
of Christianity. Well, in the home where I grew up, uh, faith was not something that was talked about very much. Uh, my father was a professor of drama, my mother a playwright. Uh, when I went to college and those discussions in the dorm late at night about religion uh, began to occur, I had no particular reason to attach value uh, to a faith system. It had never been something I was familiar with or had internalized at all. And I assumed that any religious feelings that anyone held must be on the basis of some emotional experience, and I didn't trust those, or on the basis of some childhood indoctrination, uh, which I felt I was fortunate to have missed. I loved the experience of learning about the human body and all of the components of that, and I particularly loved being introduced to genetics. But then I ended up in the medical school curriculum sitting at the bedside of patients with diseases. This was no longer an abstract study of molecules and organ systems. These were real people. And one afternoon, one of my patients, a wonderful elderly woman, much like a grandmother uh, who had very bad heart disease. Uh, she had a particularly bad episode of chest pain uh, while I was with her. She got through it. And at the end of that, explained to me how her faith was the thing that helped her in that situation. She realized that the doctors around her weren't really giving her that much help, but her faith was. And after she finished her own very personal description uh, of that faith, she turned to me, and I had been silent, and she looked at me quizzically, and she said, what do you believe, doctor? And ultimately, I had to admit to myself that her question had made me realize that I had arrived at an answer to the most important issue that we humans ever deal with. Is there a God? And I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence. And I was supposed to be a scientist. If there's one thing scientists claim they do is to arrive at conclusions based upon evidence. And I hadn't taken the trouble to do that. I was greatly assisted uh, by a pastor who lived down the road who I went and asked about all this and who gave me a copy of C.S. Lewis's wonderful book, Mere Christianity, because here was an Oxford scholar, a prodigiously developed intellect, who had traveled the same path. Within those pages, I realized for the first time that one can come to belief on a rational basis and that, in fact, given the many pointers that one sees around oneself in terms of the universe and it having a beginning and its fine-tuning in terms of the way in which all those constants that determine the behavior of matter and energy seem to have been set just in a certain very precise range to make life possible. Uh, and many other things, including my beloved mathematics and why they actually work anyway to describe the universe, something that makes you think the Creator must have been a mathematician. That brought me then to the person of Jesus Christ as a person who was historically extremely well documented. That was news to me. I thought Christ was as much myth as history and I realized after reading more about it, this was a historical figure upon which we have a great deal of evidence for his existence and his teachings and even his rising from the dead in a literal way. That day at uh, my patient's bedside started a journey for me, a journey that I was reluctant uh, to begin, but I felt I needed to, a journey that I thought would result in strengthening my atheism, but to my surprise, resulted in my conversion. And this is the wonderful news that God loves 
you and he loves me. God came in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you and for me. And on the cross, he took all of your guilt, all of my guilt, everything you've ever done wrong, everything I've ever done wrong, said wrong, thought wrong, and he died in our place in order that we could be forgiven. And forgiveness, C.S. Lewis said, it's like a recording of our life wiped completely clean. And when we receive that forgiveness, we find life and life in all its fullness. And that's what Jesus wants for you and for me. Life in all its fullness. Life at its very, very best. So is there more to life than this? Yes, in every way, eternal and abundant. And if someone like Jesus comes along and says, I can give you both, then he predicts his own death and resurrection, and then he does die, and he is raised to life, we had better pay attention. See, Jesus is offering you eternal, abundant life. Maybe you've been exploring Christianity for a while, and maybe you're ready to make a decision. It's been growing in your heart, and you just needed a moment. Can I invite that moment to be right now? Can I ask you to join me in this simple prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me and you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me to live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're exploring Christianity and you aren't ready to make a decision or a commitment like that. There is evidence to be explored. If you have questions, there are some answers. The Bible doesn't have all of the answers. Some things are left in mystery. That's a reality. But there are answers. And if you have questions, ask them and find an answer if you can. Don't just ignore it or make an emotional kind of decision, but instead look at the evidence. Again, Christianity can't be categorized as moderately important based on its claims. So please dive in, if if that's you. Dive in. Take a look at his teachings. Uh, Take a look at his life displayed in the gospel, his works, what he did, his character, who he was in the face of what he faced in life, his fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, things written about him before he was born that came true. His conquest of death. I mean, there's evidence about his resurrection, his absence from the tomb, uh, his presence with the disciples after that point of being crucified and buried. There's a number of appearances. Over 500 plus people saw him. Uh, Even the nature of his appearances is interesting as it's displayed in the Gospels. And then also, when you think about the birth and growth of the Christian church, its effect down through the ages, and I know that different seasons have had dark history, and again, we don't always get it right as Christians. That's a reality, too. But did you know that there are over 2.38 billion Christians in the world today? Many people don't know that. They have no idea. Psalm verse, or sorry, chapter 34, verse 8 says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. If you're not a Christian, you don't know where you stand, keep coming to church. Get to know lots of Christians. 
Read the Bible. Again, ask us for other books and resources. We'd love to help you. Try Alpha. Our next series, again, is launching in the very beginning of March. Jesus told this parable. It's a two parables kind of paired together. This is in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 and 45. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again, and in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. If you are a Christian and you're still kind of struggling in actively sharing your faith with people, um, I don't want to be too harsh here. I know there's, some people respond well to positive reinforcement and other people respond well to negative reinforcement. Again, that's kind of how life happens to us. This is maybe a shocking quote, but I hope it will inspire you to make a change or to think differently. This is a quote from an atheist, Penn Gillette from the magician duo Penn and Teller, if any of you know that. This is a quote. I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. Again, that's sharing their faith or evangelizing, trying to convert someone else. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell, or at least not getting into eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward... And an atheist, again, continuing the quote, and an atheist who thinks people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself. And then they go on, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them? I like this part of the quote. I mean, if I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. Will you pray with me? God, I pray for my friends who are exploring Christianity I pray that they would find what they're looking for. That by your spirit you would reveal yourself to each and every person. That in power your spirit would flood into their life. uh, Give them that sense of hope for abundant life now and also of eternal everlasting life. And I also pray for myself my Christian brothers and sisters who are struggling to find a way to share the gospel. Would you enable us by your Holy Spirit to tackle a few people with grace and with love and respect? We have such hope in you. So we give you thanks, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and join us in singing?
seated among us. Let every heart receive Him now. Where there is praise, He will inhabit. There will be grace and mercy all around. Oh, oh, oh. 
Thank you, worship team. Um, we want to invite you now, if you would like to come this morning, invite the prayer teams to be forward and just be watchful. So come on up and join us now. And uh, just listening to what was shared this morning, it's uh, really interesting to see how the Holy Spirit has worked in different ways to speak to people's lives. And maybe he's spoken to you this morning. Yeah, come on, Dr. Welker. We'll have the doctors team up this morning. How can we go wrong with that? So. <laughs> By the way, we just want to say, Kurt, that 